Good morning. As Stephen uh, explained last week and uh, uh, in previous weeks, uh, we're taking a slow walk, in his words, through uh, the Psalms. And we sort of uh, dive back into the Psalms when we're between some sermon series. And uh, he promised us last week that maybe by the, by the time I retire in about 10 or so years that we'll be finished up with the Psalms at the pace that we're going. You know, the Psalms... Uh, we can do that. We can come back to them from time to time and, and, and dress them one by one because each of them stand on their own. I'll quit moving around. The, uh, you know, unlike many other books of the Bible, they, uh, they're not a linear story from beginning to end. Each of these psalms uh, reflects uh, God's people. God's character, and what they learn about God. And there, there are psalms, uh, and it's basically a, a hymn book by God's people worshiping God. And there are hymns of uh, praise and of thanksgiving, uh, psalms of astonishment and wonder. I mean, when you wake up on a day like this after a, a scary storm, and it's a beautiful morning, your heart breaks out in song. And that's uh, their psalms of praise. They're, they're prophetic hymns and historical and, and psalms of, of wisdom. And then there are laments, those sad songs that, that where the psalmists or, or, or a, a group of psalmists bring great distress before God. A pressing story that, that I mean, they're... they're pouring their hearts out, and they lay a troubled situation before God, and they ask God for help, and that's what a lament is. And maybe about a third of the Psalms are laments. There's a, there's a whole book later on in the Bible called Lamentations, and it's a series of five laments to God, laying it out before God. It was described last week as the Psalms are, are raw emotion laid bare. This is pouring your heart out to God. There's a series, and I'm going to be preaching from uh, Psalms 142 today. It's another short psalm, but it's a, one of a series of psalms that, that they come from a time before David was king. This is when David has already been chosen by God to be king, but before he ascends to the throne. And David is going through... A, a time of desperation. Uh, the man who is king at this point, Saul, his, his affections for David run hot and cold. When David's on his good side, Saul loves David. When it's cold, Saul wants to kill David. And that's that desperate situation that we're going to see today in, in Psalms 142. Saul... The first king of Israel had, had lost God's favor because of his disobedience, his sin, his uh, refusal to follow God's uh, commandments, had lost God's favor. Uh, it specifically says, uh, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And he knew it. And he, he, he knows that David 
is going to, to be there in God's favor. So there's, there's personal jealousy on the part of Saul uh, to cause him to lash out there. The people love David. Uh, he's, he's a champion. He's, he's uh, a mighty warrior for the people of Israel. Uh, Saul's son loves David. Saul's daughter loves David, and they both play into this, this psalm as well. Uh, there's professional jealousy as well. Uh, and then there's, I mean, Saul knows that, that his, his line won't inhabit the throne, that David will inhabit the throne of Israel. So there's this string of psalms, uh, about 140 to 143, that are from that period. And that's sort of the setting. Uh, and I'm going to refer a lot to 1 Samuel today. I had really carefully read through 1 Samuel to understand what David is, is uh, talking about here in Psalm 142, what he's gone through, what he's referring to, uh, what has put his heart in this posture, what's broken him and, and hurt him so that he's crying out to God like this. So like many of the Psalms, if you want to turn to Psalm 142, uh, we'll read that together in a moment. Uh, like I said, I'll, I'll refer to uh, 1 Samuel uh, a good bit, but we don't need to put a finger in that because uh, we'd be going back and forth in there. Like many psalms, there's a, a superscript. You know, these, uh, that, that, uh, under the, uh, the title of the psalms that the, the uh, compilers of the Bible or the editors have put in there, this one says, uh, you are my refuge or, or a psalm of refuge. There are these superscripts. Uh, so I think uh, last week Stephen had promised uh, that he was going to have a slide about the superscript for Psalm 11. We have a superscript for uh, Psalm 142. You know, some are, like I said, some are very short and some are very long. They, they might give a, 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 uh, the author, they might give the, uh, the direction or, or uh, its purpose of that psalm. It might give a tune, a reference to what tune, the instruments that it's supposed to be played with. And remember, these are songs uh, to be sung together or in the presence of the people of God. Uh, it might give uh, uh, the occasion, so to be sung on a special occasion, uh, either at a, a holiday observance or, or at a particular point uh, in their calendar. Uh, the purpose, uh, this one, like many others, gives a reference to a specific point in the author or the psalmist's life that helps us understand what this psalm is about. So let's look at the uh, superscript here. This one is, is fairly straightforward, uh, not too long, uh, and some of them are wonderful. You can get the, the gist of what the psalms are about by just looking at those superscripts and understanding the, the story of God in there. Um, but there's a lot of information in this one. So this one, it says there in that superscript, a masculine of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. So masculine, we, we're not entirely certain what it means. It's probably a, a, a musical term or, or a, a liturgical term on, on how it's supposed to be used. Um, other psalms have, have other words that they use. Uh, I mean, miktam in a very similar psalm in Psalm 57. But a masculine, um, 
probably a, a term that means this is a psalm to instruct, to help you learn something. You know, it might also give direction that this is uh, maybe a, a solo by, by a, a priest or, or someone, uh, a psalmist singing the song so that others can learn. And we've got songs in our, our culture that, that, that teach something. I mean, not just tell a story, but, but help you remember, uh, help you uh, put place markers in your life. So that uh, could be what masculine means there. Um, like I said, Psalm 57 is very similar in there. This one gives the author as well. It's a Psalm of David. David, the author of uh, probably uh, uh, about 50 of the Psalms. Um, and you have to understand what David went through his life to understand what these Psalms uh, are saying. But then we can see ourselves in these situations as well. Jumping to the end of that, it says it's a prayer. I mean, it specifically says it's a prayer. It's that conversation uh, with God. Uh, specifically here, a supplication or a petition to God. The important thing to, uh, to look here as well is in the middle. When he was in the cave. Now, depending on your uh, uh, feelings about caves or caverns, this could either be a, a, uh, a, something you might uh, like or something that you might have a difficulty uh, picturing yourself in there. When I was a kid, uh, my family traveled a lot, and we had a chance to go through southern Kentucky up into Mammoth Caves. And if you haven't had a chance, I mean, this is one of the largest cave systems in, I mean, in the world. It's huge. Even better, it's well-lighted. It's, uh, there are walkways and everything. It's, it's great. That, I mean, that's a mammoth cave. I mean, the, the very name of it uh, gives some indication of it. Uh, and then when I was a, uh, when I was a young uh, Boy Scout, probably middle school age, we spent uh, a two-night camping trip in a cave. And it gets dark when you turn those lanterns out. This cave can be pretty terrifying for an uh, 11, 12-year-old kid even with other people there, and you had to squeeze into this hole between rocks to get in there, and then they'd give you your backpack, and you're sleeping on the ground. A cave wasn't very pleasant, so depending on, on your experience with caves, it might not be a good thing. David uh, started out as a, as a shepherd boy. He was the youngest of several brothers, the son of Jesse, and it, it, those older brothers were, were serving in King Saul's army or... or in other roles, and David was tending the sheep. He was the one out there protecting their family's flocks. And, and it could be that in the heat of the day, the scorching uh, sun uh, there in the Middle East, that he'd take them into the, uh, the, the mouth of a cave or the overhang of a cave to get them out of the hot sun. During a storm uh, with thunder and lightning and driving rain, that would also be a good safe space. Um, but you never know what's back there in the deep part of the cave. So David was probably familiar with caves. Um, as, a, as a military champion, he knew that, that a cave could be a stronghold, that it could be a, a place of safety, uh, of, of uh, regathering and, and reprovisioning and, and hiding if necessary. And so this uh, reference uh, here in that superscript when he was in cave helps us understand 
uh, what David is going through. There are two specific uh, instances, and, and either one could be uh, understood as appropriate, but one is more likely. There are two uh, instances in David's uh, time when he's running that he retreats to a cave. And they're very critical. Um, Saul's pursuing them. I mean, I said Saul is, is hot and cold at him. Uh, David could be soothing Saul and playing his, his lyre or his stringed instrument for him and, and calming Saul down. And uh, Saul would have a change of heart and he'd throw a spear at him. So, so David has to flee from, from Saul. And at one point, uh, when he knows that Saul's pursuing him and chasing him, he goes to this uh, uh, cave at Adullam. And a lot of other people come uh, that follow Dave, those who are, are hurting and those who are, it says that their spirits are, are, are troubled and, and those who are in need follow after him. Um, if you're hiding, a whole bunch of other people around you don't really help. So, so Dave, uh, David sort of sends them to someplace else. Uh, and then he returns to that stronghold, maybe by himself. And that's, that could be uh, when he looks back on his life, uh, looks back and writes this psalm later that he's thinking about. There's another time when... Uh, uh, David and, and some of his soldiers are, are hiding out in a cave, and, and just so happens that, that Saul comes into that same cave, un, unbeknownst to, uh, to Saul, and, and David and them are, are further back, and Saul getting out of the, uh, the heat of battle and, and coming to rest. And David has a chance to, to slay Saul and, and end his, his troubles here, to put an end to this. Uh, that's what his, his fellow soldiers and advisors advise him to do. And, and David spares Saul's life here. So that's, that's at a cave at En Gedi. So one of those two, more than likely that, that cave at, at Adullam where David first retreats to and then goes back into that stronghold uh, and appears to be alone. That's likely what that he has in mind here. So enough with setting it up there. Let's turn to that 142nd Psalm, and let me read through this with you. Just seven short verses. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from the persecutors for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. We can hear uh, David's uh, uh, raw emotion in these verses, especially here in the, the first few uh, verses. Um, you know, the psalmist... Uh, uh, 
Some of the psalmists accept their, their situation quietly. Not David here. Uh, this isn't a cry of his heart. He specifically says, these are cries with my voice. I am calling out, crying out here. Um, they are honest expressions of, of his distress here. If we look at those uh, first couple of verses there, we can see some, uh, a little bit of alliteration there. Um, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. Like I said, these are raw emotions laid bare. I mean, and, and honesty here. I mean, are we honest with God when we pray? Do we cry out at times? Have, I mean, it's humbling. It's uncomfortable to, to cry in prayer. Uh, but that's just a, a, I mean, that's showing that emotion there. And is it right to talk to God this way? I mean, that, that Psalm 11 that Stephen preached last week, it was uh, uh, David was almost sarcastically saying, God, you're supposed to be my refuge. Where are you? I think by this time when David is writing this, he knows that God is his refuge. He knows that God is his deliverer here. Um, but it's right to pour it out before God. And these aren't grumblings or, or complaining about God or, or to God. Uh, it, this isn't a, a question of, of faith. Uh, this is uh, showing that our hearts do have faith in who God is. God has proven himself over and over to David. And so by this time when he's writing this, he, he can express it in his song there. And God wants us to know his character. He wants us to know that he provides here. Um, what does this passage teach us about prayer? It is a prayer, and it's a, a, a masculine. It is a psalm intended to instruct. Uh, so it, it teaches that prayer is to lay it out before God. Be open and, and honest to God. Show your pain if you need to. Um, this is a, a, a time to, to cry out to God when you need it, knowing that God is there. You know, and, and you're not telling God anything that He doesn't already know. I mean, God knows your heart. David later on says that God knows His path. When we, when we look a couple of psalms earlier, Psalm 139, we, we see David at a different point when he's realized who God is. I just want to read the uh, first few verses of, of Psalm 139, and this is David's celebrating uh, just amazement that God knows him. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. There at the end is, I can't even fathom it. I can't, I can't express it well enough, Lord, that you know me. And so when we go in prayer here, that's one of the other uh, things that we can understand about prayer is that we're not telling God something that he doesn't already know. He knew what David was going through, even when David thought that God wasn't there. That question that we saw last week, where are you, God? David has come to realize that God is there and that God provides. Uh, if God already knows our prayers, why, uh, why should we just cry out continually? Why? And this isn't just a one-time thing that he's going through here in these first couple of verses. It's continuous, regular. God wants to hear us. I mean, to, to roughly paraphrase uh, the theologian preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he says that it's not so that God can know us, it's so that we can know Him. And it's not for His information, it's for our edification when we bring these things to God. So, cry out to God. In verses 3 and 4, uh, when my spirit faints within me. And that's not if. On the off chance that my spirit is going to falter. He says, when. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. So out of energy, overwhelmed, when David has expended all of his strength and resources and, and wisdom, he knows that God provides, that God is there. When my spirit faints, he knows my way. God knows that, that next step. He knows where we're going and what's in front of you. The second part of verse 3 says, In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. On more than one occasion, Saul has, has tried to entrap David. He, I mean, David, through friends, uh, through uh, others, that he always seems to be one step ahead of Saul, one or two steps, and, and sometimes just narrowly escapes. Or, and Saul pursues him. When, like I said, when Saul's affection towards him was cold, uh, he, was, he was ruthless. Saul slew people uh, for helping David. So uh, on more than one occasion, there, there were these, these traps or, or snares that Saul had laid out there. Stephen introduces to the, uh, the word pa last week, the Hebrew word pa, P-A-H or, or pach. Uh, could be pronounced, which is, which is a, a, literally a, a snare that, that a bird catcher uses. Either a, either a, a loop for, for a ground-based bird or, or a net or, or something on the ground that a bird catcher uses. And, and David used that, that pach in, in uh, Psalm 11 talking about snares, and, and refers to the birds of the air trying to fly away. That's their means of escape. He uses paw here again when he's talking about snares. Um, 
And he's David calling out for protection from the snares of, of Saul and from the snares of the world. And, and we know that uh, Satan tries to ensnare us. These are usually snares with, with a lure in them as well, something to attract and then ensnare in there is what that is. But David may have had a, a specific uh, snare in mind as well. In uh, 1 Samuel 18, um, and, and you don't need to turn there. I'll attempt while I'm uh, talking here as well. Saul tries to entrap David by giving his daughter, Michael, in marriage uh, to be his wife in Psalm 18. Um, he had tried many different ways. Uh, Psalm 18.21, I'll read that. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines might be against him. Snare. Now, now this one uses a, a different Hebrew term, mokesh. Uh, strictly speaking, that's the lure or the bait. But it, came, it comes to mean the, uh, the, the, the trap itself uh, in that sense. I should have read 20 uh, as well. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And that's when Saul said, hmm, I'll use this as a snare to entrap David. So, I mean, it's an interesting story. And, I mean, like I said, you have to read a l- First Samuel to, to understand a lot of the backstory here. Michael loves David. And it seems uh, likely that David loves his daughter as well. Um, he's a shepherd at this point and, and a, a beginning to be a, a soldier as well. And, and there's a, a steep bride price for the daughter of a king. And, and David, I mean, whether dowry, as, as we understand it uh, a little bit in this culture, or bride price, there's no way that... that David could afford a bride price, and so Saul's thinking, hmm, uh, this could be a, a snare for David. So he, he proposes that, that in lieu of a bride price, that David will, uh, will slay a hundred of their mortal enemy, the Philistines, and bring back proof of their, their uh, death. And in, in, in doing so, David will die. This is an easy way to get rid of David. He says, I'll, I'll give him this task, and David will die trying. So this is going to try to be a, a snare, uh, a trap for David there. Well, David, with God's provision, uh, slays 200 Philistines and brings back proof uh, and, and pays the, the, the bride price for, for Michael's hand, and, and Michael becomes his wife. So that, that idea of, of snare, that may have been what, what David had in mind when he uh, was, was writing that later on. When he said, in the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Verse 4, he says, look to the right and see. There is none who take notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Though surrounded by people, by fellow soldiers, and, and the people adore David, uh, 
those who are, are not on Saul's side, uh, they are around him. But even then, David feels alone. Uh, and this is the cry of someone who has lost a dear friend. And now we might see it as someone who, is, who has lost a, a dear friend that, that you can walk closely with and who understands you. It might be your spouse. Uh, it might be a child uh, who you love dearly. And, and David is saying, look, even though there's people around me, there's no one right beside me who understands my soul, who understands me, who encourages me and protects me. Um, I was thinking about that, that picture of David as a soldier. And, you know, I mean, uh, they, in, in that day and age, they had a, a shield arm and, and then either a sword or spear or a sling arm. And, and if you're a right-handed person, I mean, you've got the shield. And, and when you're, when you're protect, protecting yourself with your shield, you're vulnerable on this side. Or a quarterback, uh, for those who, I mean, and I had to refer to my resident technician, uh, football technician back there. Uh, quarterback has, has that, uh, that guard, that right guard or left guard who's protecting his, uh, his vulnerable side, really. A, a left-handed quarterback is, is going to drop back, and, and, and that right guard is protecting his, his side there. David has had people, specifically Jonathan, by his side. Jonathan is Saul's son, uh, one, of, uh, one of Saul's sons there. And as soon as, as David uh, first proves himself who he is and, and, and uh, sort of introduces himself uh, to Saul and, and, and pledges to, to fight there, Jonathan says, Here's my friend. Here's a soulmate. Uh, I might jokingly refer to it nowadays as a bromance. They love each other dearly. As, as this brotherly love is strong between David and Jonathan. Uh, we see, I mean, they, they use this term that their souls were knit together. So they are, I mean, they are side by side here. But Jonathan is Saul's son. And, and he is likely to... to I mean, to be an heir someday. And David threatens that, that succession there. When Saul has lost God's favor, his line is ending. And David is, is going to be the next king. The, the, the prophet Samuel has said, the, I mean, this will be it, the judge Samuel there. This, this will, David will be king. Um, they loved each other. Uh, when, they, when they do have to uh, part later on, it is a tearful farewell. And the Bible says that David wept the most. He misses Jonathan. I mean, Jonathan has stood up for him several times. He's, he's uh, warned David of, of uh, Saul's anger and that he was coming to kill him and has helped David escape. So, Quite likely, when, when David is remembering and writing this, he says, I've lost my best friend. There's no one standing beside me who knows my soul. Uh, no refuge remains to me, a, a confidant or, or uh, 
advisor, someone to correct me when I need it, someone to pick me up and, and keep me accountable. Um, there's no one who takes notice of me, even with all the people around him. He said, no one sees me. So his heart is heavy at, at, at likely losing Jonathan, not having Jonathan there. In verse 5, 6, and, and 7, it sort of echoes the earlier part of, of uh, this psalm. We see uh, some of the same language, and, but we also see David's acknowledgement of how God has revealed himself, has, how God has shown his character, how God has uh, proven himself uh, there. And it's as almost a, a, a tie-up, uh, a wrap-up of that passage. And it says, I, I cry to you, O Lord, my refuge and my portion. What's a portion? And it's not just a piece of the pie. Uh, we've got this uh, cookie cutter that, that cuts a, a cookie into like six equal pieces. And, and, and yeah, that's a portion. But when we start looking at portion here, that God is my portion, portion here. Uh, you remember back in the, uh, uh, the prodigal son uh, where the ungrateful younger son says, give me my portion. He's talking about an inheritance. Yeah, it, it's a share of, of the inheritance or, or the family estate. It is a share, but it's what secures the future. Without a portion, you... You don't have a, a hope in the future. It might not be a guarantee, but it, it's, it's, it, is a, a, it goes a long way in securing your future. So that, that idea of portion here, when, when he says uh, there in verse 5, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. God, you are, uh, there's nothing here on earth that I can count on. No worldly resources, no, no, no earthly inheritance. I've got seven older brothers. I, I'm not going to have an inheritance. I, I'm not the son of a king. I, I'm not going to get the inheritance here. God, not on this earth. You are my portion. He said in the land of the living, when I have nothing else, I have hope in you. I have security in you. I am your child. I, am, I have an inheritance in you, is what he's saying there, that, that Lord, you are my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry or hear my cry. I am very low. I'm, I'm broken. I'm, I'm bankrupt. I'm, I'm emotionally, spiritually drained here. Hear my cry. Give heed to me. And God does here. Remember that this is David who has seen God work in his life. And he is saying God has answered these prayers here. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison. He knows that God is going to be his, his deliverer there. Uh, the, the one who rescues uh, who redeems him. He sees that over and over again. So we see that, that, uh, that there. Uh, he's declaring in these verses 
who he has found God to be. A refuge. I mean, even in a cave, in a stronghold, as we sang earlier, a mighty fortress, it's really God who is our stronghold and our refuge. Even when you, even when you've, you've, uh, think you have security here on earth, as a believer, it is God who is your stronghold. God is our portion. When we have no hope in, in earthly things, uh, our eternal future is secure in Him. He is our liberator, David says. He's the one who sets us free. And He is our Savior. He saves, rescues, and delivers us when others are too strong. So how do we respond to this? I mean, if, if, if you're a believer, we see it spelled out in the remainder of verse 7. We give thanks to your name. Here we can see, uh, bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. Not, not for David's sake. Not, not to say, hey, look, look what I've done. Look, I mean, look how strong this was. But to give the honor and glory to God. To point back to Him and say, see, our God delivers uh, to give thanks uh, for all that he does and all that he reveals himself to be, it should produce that thanksgiving in our hearts, that worship and, and honor and glory. Um, that's what we do. And, and we, we continue to press in there. When you go back continuously when distress and God proves himself, we give thanks. We, we give God the glory there. And then the, the last part of verse 7, the righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. We share what he has done. Brothers and sisters in Christ are going to see what God has done in your life. They're going to worship with you and give thanks with you. And that's what a, a, a church family does in a small group. And brothers and sisters celebrate God's deliverance and God's uh, redeeming in your life. That's why we celebrate uh, what God has done in each other's lives when we walk together. God deals bountifully with me, he says. God has blessed me richly. And others are going to celebrate God with me. They're going to see what God has done in my life and, and God's going to reveal his character through that if you're not yet a believer god wants you to know him god wants you to see who he is he wants you to realize that 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 deliverer and that 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 refuge and that portion that he is he wants you to know that he is a liberator and he wants you to know that savior that he has sent you know god knows your heart God knows your, your thoughts and, and your path that you're on. He knows that. And he wants you to know him. David is crying out to God for a rescuer and a deliverer, a, a redeemer. And throughout Israel's history, God has rescued and delivered and redeemed his people. And God has sent a Savior. 
And that's uh, your response if, if you're not yet a believer. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus purchased that redemption for believers. And He wants you to place your trust and your hope in Him. Uh, we need a bigger rescuer and deliverer than, than an earthly refuge can, can offer. Than earthly military champion can offer. We need Jesus.